welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it. If church is boring, it's your own fault, basically. That's the way it is. It's just, you know, if church is boring, really. Really, really, really. If, if, if Paul and Silas can have a jam session in a jail, having been beaten, they didn't find it boring. They didn't say, oh, I'm bored. And you can sit here in church where there's heaters on and there's carpet and there's padded chairs and there's fantastic music and there's lights and there's people who can sing to help you keep in tune and key and all that because I need that help. And you say, it's boring. Like, really? There's something wrong with us. There really is. If Paul and Silas can sing their little hearts out, which is awesome. Anyway, as Di said, for whatever reason, I haven't preached for three weeks. Three weeks ago, Craig and Andy Clark were here and, and Craig preached. Last week, uh, the week after that, I was away, so I wasn't here. And so we had Pete, Pete and Moggy preaching. And then last week I came back, but I wasn't on the roster. Apparently they didn't put me on the roster. And so Pete and, uh, and Jeff preached. And so that's three whole weeks without preaching. So please buckle your seat. I'm going to try and finish on time. I'm going to do my very best. Okay. Uh, as we continue our series, uh, Family Tree. Now, Family Tree, okay, is a series that just looks at some of, not all of, but some of the people in Jesus' family tree or in Jesus' lineage. Okay, that's what we do. We're just picking out some, some men and some women of Jesus' family and just want to present them to you. Because I imagine as Jesus was growing up, he heard the stories of Uncle David and Uncle Hezekiah and Auntie Ruth and Uncle Solomon and all these people. And I imagine it was those stories along with some good parenting that fashioned and formed and shaped his world. I imagine he learned what to do. He learned what not to do as a result of his aunties, his uncles, his grandparents, his great-grandparents, his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents and all of this. And he made every opportunity and every story a learning moment. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, as a result, it says, Jesus grew in favour with God, in favour with man, in stature and wisdom. In other words, he grew up a well-rounded young man as a result of the lessons he learned from the people in his world. That's what this whole series is about. And today, I want to pull out one of those characters and I'm going to pick out, oh, let me see, oh, David. I'm going to pick out David. King David. Who's ever heard of David, King David in the Bible? Well, that's who we're going to look at today. Now, what you need to remember about good communication. Good communication is not only based upon what you say, it's also based upon what you don't say. It's not only based on what you include, it's based upon what you do not include. I do not have the time to go into everything about David's life. And possibly for some of you who have been Christians for thousands of years, You've grown up to love certain aspects of a certain person's life. And I may not go there on this occasion and touch on your favourite aspect of David's life. And I do not apologise for that. Okay. What I want you to do is capture something of David's life that will encourage and inspire you to go to the Word of God and read about David more and in more detail and study his life. Okay, So I'm going to talk about some things that have stood out to me more recently about David's life. But before I get into that, let me just give you a little bit of an overview. 
Okay, about David. David is the great times 40 grandfather of Jesus. So he was around a long time before Jesus, about a thousand years. He was from the bloodline of both Joseph and Mary. He was born in 1040 BC in Bethlehem and his father's name was Jesse. We're unsure of his mother's name. He was a shepherd. In other words, he looked after sheep. That's what he did as a young boy. He was an incredible musician. He played the harp. At least that's what we know he played. He may have played other things. Um, He was a psalmist. In other words, he wrote songs. In actual fact, he wrote 73 of the 150 psalms that are found in the Word of God. He was a great warrior and he was a great king. He ruled as king over Judah for seven years and he ruled over Judah and Israel combined for 33 years. And the length of his reign altogether was 40 years, from 1010 BC to 970 BC. And he died in the year 970 BC at the ripe old age of 70. And you can read all you want in detail about David's life in the books of Samuel, 1 Kings, and 1 Chronicles. You got that? Yeah. The Bible records that David was a man after God's own heart. You ever heard that saying, he's a man after my own heart? You know, if someone said to me, and I can say this of Graham Hazel, oh, if Graham was to say, oh, I love roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. I would say of Graham, oh, he's a man after my own heart. Which means he likes what I like. And God was able to say of this man, David, he's a man after my own heart because he likes what I like. What an incredible thing to have said over you. David had a heart after God. In other words, when it came to the things of God and it came to worship, he was not cold-hearted or hard-hearted or half-hearted. He was wholeheartedly devoted to God, thus fulfilling the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your soul and with all that you have within you. And that's why I love it when people like JT and Elise and others up here just give it all they've got. Why waste a moment? We don't even know if we've got tomorrow. And I imagine David, when he played that harp, he played that harp with everything he'd got. With all of his heart, I'm oh, oh, I wish I was playing the drum. Just, oh, I imagine, I imagine him going, oh, just like, you know, just like, just giving it all he's got, because he was a man after God's own heart. Oh, and God said, oh, I like this boy because he likes what I like. He likes justice. He hates what I hate. He hates the enemy, and so God called David a man after his own heart. And I believe that the stories that Jesus grew up listening to about David would have inspired him. Just like the stories my dad told me about his life and his granddad inspired me. You see, I've never met my grandparents, not on any side. They were long gone before I was on the scene. But I feel I know my granddad because of the stories my dad told. And my granddad was a World War I veteran. 
And by the time World War II came around, he was so sick of fighting. He was so sick of the Jerry. He was so sick of the enemy. He wasn't going down in a bunker. He was not going to allow the enemy to rob him of his cup of tea in his home. And so they could bomb his home, but there was no way he was going down in a bunker. He was going to sit there and they can bow up if he wants to, but he's not moving. I've never met him, but I feel like I know him. Why? Because the stories my dad told over and over and over and over again. Dad's best mate, Roy Garner. I feel like he's my best mate because I've heard every one of those stories hundreds of times. I feel like I was there. In actual fact, back in 1997, I had the privilege of going to the UK and I met Roy Garner for the very first time and he took me around the places that Dad grew up. And it never, it just blew me away. It was like going to a museum, but better. And I started to see the house where so-and-so lived. And I started to see the field where they did so many exploits. And to hear Roy Garner tell of accounts in the exact same manner as my dad. It was unbelievable. I said, I know, Roy, I know. I was there. I was there, mate. I was there on the battlefield with you. I was there with the Shanghai flicking those little rocks into the windows and breaking everyone until the policeman said, oh, what are you doing? I was there. And I imagine Jesus grew up in that environment hearing, oh, tell me, tell me about David again. Tell me about David. Some of you are so religious. I'm always going about David. I've heard everything I need to know about David. Well, listen up. You're going to hear Uncle Tony tell you one more time. And if you've got a heart to hear, I think, I think, I think, I think you might just learn something. Because I want to tell you, I am not mocking my dad one bit. I love hearing those stories. And I will let him tell me those stories another thousand times. I love them. I get something out of every time. If nothing else, I love the excitement in dad's eyes when he tells me. That enough, that alone encourages me. And so here's... Jesus has a little boy sitting on his dad's lap. So oh, tell me about Uncle David again. Tell me about David. I want to hear about David again. I've told you about David. I know, I know. But tell me again. Tell me, tell me, tell me about what he did. And I imagine if David was actually here in the flesh today, that is, he came out of heaven and, 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 and just spoke about some things in his life. And, and what would I think about that? What would he say? And what would I want to pass on to others about what he said? And more importantly, what can we learn from the things that he would say? And I want to look at some of those things I believe David would say if he was here right now. And the first thing I believe David would say is this that God sees you even when others don't. That God sees you even when others don't. You see, in the Bible, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, you can read the account for yourself. There's this moment when the prophet Samuel gets a word from the Lord about the future king of Israel. Because the present king, Saul, was just doing a terrible job. He'd messed up. And the prophet Samuel got word from the Lord, you've got to go to Jesse's house. Now, Jesse was David's dad. You've got to go to Jesse's house because the next king of Israel will come from Jesse's house. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's house. 
and declares, I want to see all your boys. I'm going to anoint one of your boys as the future king of Israel. Now, can you imagine for a moment as Jesse and his wife get this news that, wow, one of our boys is going to be the king. This is awesome. We're going to be exempt from paying taxes. It's going to be fantastic. Oh, but which one is it? And can you imagine? I mean, every parent says they don't have favourites. I don't have any favourites. Oh, but it's got to be our oldest boy. It's got to be a lion. Look at him. He's awesome. He's high and tall. He's a man. And so imagine Jesse and his wife are talking about which one it's going to be. And they get them all lined up. And the prophet Samuel comes into the house and looks at the favourite, looks at the obvious choice, looks at this firstborn, this tall, strong warrior, son of theirs, the firstborn. And even the prophet, who's a man who hears God, is convinced, oh Lord, you don't need to say anything, Lord. I know, I know what to do. <laughs> Keep quiet, God, I've got it. And God says, no, it's not him. And he goes to the next one, not him. Goes to the next one, not him. Goes to the next one. Seven sons. None of them. Just, just, just make the Bible live a minute. Samuel's like, uh, Jesse, this is a, I've come to anoint one of your sons. God's saying it's none of these. I know it's stupid to say because no one would not bring one of their sons out when I said bring all your sons out. So I know it's a stupid question to ask, but just on the off chance, you happen to forget one of your sons? Do you have another son? And Jesse's like, well, we do actually. (laughs) Can you imagine the prophet Samuel? What is it about all your sons you didn't get? I mean, why is it as Christians we, we just, uh, just are not good at obeying the simplest of commands? Bring out all your sons. It wasn't, it wasn't like walk over broken glass. It was just like, bring out all your sons. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how it went. I don't know how it looked. I don't know if he said, oh, yeah, but you don't want to, he's looking after our sheep. You know, I didn't think you. Same as until you get it, I ain't sitting down. So Jesse, he must have been embarrassed. I mean, come on, get in, the, get in the life. He must have been embarrassed. Oh my gosh, talk about being owned. I mean, oh man, the prophet of God owned me. Just like, oh, quick, get the kid. What's his name? He may not even remember his name. <laughs> what is it about it when you're telling off kids that the kids you're trying to tell off, you never remember their name? I remember when I was growing up, my mum would say, oh, when she's talking to me, this is how she would address me. Peter, Ian, Sam. Sam was a dog. The dog came before me. <laughs> so David, uh, Jesse's like, oh, get the young one. Um, 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 David. And maybe the mum was like, yes, David. <sighs> Little chicken. <laughs> Favourite one being the youngest. 
I don't know what it is, the youngest always seems to be mum's favourites. I don't know what that's about. But anyway, at least it wasn't our house. Seemed, anyway, I don't know, I won't go there. That's a whole other. <laughs> I'm having a counselling session of myself while I do this. It's all right. <laughs> Bit of therapy for me. I'm just going to get a couch in a minute. And David comes. And Samuel's, ah, this is him. Now, because we've read the story many times ago, yeah, we know the story. But have you stopped to think about it? Have you thought about what Jesse's now feeling? Oh my goodness. You think about the brothers? Are you kidding me? Him? Mummy's boy? What? <laughs> you think about the prophet? Samuel, he's like, oh my goodness, sorry Lord, who would have thought? You imagine how David's feeling. What's going on, guys? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, prophet came into town, told us to get all his sons, and um, he's going to anoint one of you as king, and (laughs) oh, we forgot you. (laughs) We, 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 We forgot you. Some of you have issues that your mum and dad didn't believe in you. For David, it was worse. They didn't even think of him. They didn't even think enough of him not to believe in him. And yet for David, somehow it didn't seem to matter. Because David was just faithful doing what he'd been asked to do. And when you're faithful with what you've been asked to do, God sees it. God sees you even when others don't see you. And I believe if David was here today, he would say, guys, it doesn't matter if you're overlooked. It doesn't matter if others are getting promoted. It doesn't matter if others have more money or more things or more possessions. It doesn't matter if you've sat on the back row of the church and nobody's ever said, I see you, your commitment to church, I see it. If nobody ever acknowledged you from the front and JT got acknowledged not once but twice and he may even get acknowledged again and I don't know if I can cope with that because Tony's never ever ever acknowledged me and I've been here for ages. You know what? David didn't even get invited to his own coronation. That's like not getting invited to your birthday party. Imagine that, mum and dad putting out all the invitations and they get all your friends and when the day comes, everyone's there but the birthday boy. That's what we're talking about here. And David's saying, that's cool. Because God sees. When they were all squabbling and arguing and assuming who would be the next king, David was out there just worshipping God on his harp and obeying his father looking after the sheep. That can open massive doors for you. God sees David where nobody else does. Secondly, I believe that David would say to us today that God is bigger than anything you'll ever face. Remember, these are the stories that Jesus grew up with. And as a result, he grew in favour with God, in favour with man, in stature and in wisdom. Not long after his coronation, he went back to what he was always doing, that was looking after the sheep. 
You might get a prophetic word. You might have an incredible moment like some of our young guys on camp. But you know what? After that prophetic moment and that incredible time, you go back to doing what you were doing. It doesn't always change for you immediately after that. You know, I had incredible words over my life and some of them are yet to be fulfilled. Because after that hand was taken off my head, I had to go back to work. And so David's like drenched now in oil. Samuel leaves. The brothers go. Jesse goes, okay, get back to the sheep. He walks back to the sheep covered in oil. What was that all about? Some of you do that. You go to church, get preached at. What was that all about? Goes back to what he's always been doing. But in the course of time, Israel and the Philistines, who never seem to be getting on, are at war. And three of David's brothers, the oldest three, are part of the army, the army of God. Sent, commissioned, called to go and defend God's country. And so there they are in battle, inverted commas. And Jesse, the concerned father, wants to know how his boys are going. Now, unlike today, he can't pick up a cell phone. He can't send an MMS, smiley face or anything like that. He needs a homing pigeon. He needs, he needs a boy to do the running. And so he goes, David, I want you to go give your brother some food. And I want you to find out how they're doing and come back and tell me. And so David places the sheep that are in his care in the care of somebody else. He doesn't just leave his responsibilities. He makes sure his prior responsibility is taken care of. Then he goes to be with his brothers. And as he gets there, as he gets there, right at the moment he gets there, he finds out that there's been no warring going on. This war has been in a holding pattern for 40 days. Because the Philistines devised a scheme. Your champion against our champion, winner takes all. Why all this bloodshed? Why lose some good fighting men? Let's just say our champions fight it out, winner takes all. And so David, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, maybe still covered in oil, I don't know. What's going on? Eliab, the oldest son, who's just really still, still ticked off with his brother. So what are you doing here? And who did you lose those stupid little sheep with? David, oh, whatever, 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 major loser, like, like whatever. Doesn't say that in the Bible, but I'm sure David's like. <laughs> and as he's talking, Goliath comes out. This, this monster of a man, he's over nine foot tall. He's about my height. It's amazing. <laughs> he's nine foot six. He's got six fingers on each hand. He's like a freak of nature. Six Toes on each foot. It's nine foot six. He's massive. 
And he comes out. Like Chewbacca or something. Makes all these murderous threats. And David says, I can take him. You're kidding me, man. And I can. Why? Because he didn't see Goliath at nine foot six. He saw God creator of the whole earth. He saw God who created the earth that this nine foot six giant was standing on. He saw the God who made all things possible. And so as a result, at the, against the better discretion of all those in charge, he went anyway, without any armor, just with a little sling in his hand and five rocks in the other, and he knocks the giant's head off. Lodges a stone right in his head. He falls to the ground. But that's not enough for David because David prophesied. He says, man, I'm going to cut your head off. I mean, Goliath is like, are you kidding me? You don't even have a sword. I mean, what's David thinking? What's he going to do? Get the sling? Get up a bit of friction around his neck? And... What's he going to What? But David's got a plan. I'm going to knock you, I'm going to knock you to the ground. I'm going to give you a sword and just cuts his head off. Then holds on to it. Takes it back to the king. Just like... And he takes this incredible risk. Why? Because his God is bigger than the risk. My question to you, as I've asked many times before, how big, honestly, how big, how big, how big is your God? Do you believe he's bigger than what you are going through right now? I believe if David was here today, he would say, God is bigger than whatever you are going through right now. God's bigger. God's bigger. One of my biggest concerns is that we are breeding an anti-risk generation. OHS has a lot to answer for. We, of my generation and older, should not be alive today. <laughs> According to OHS regulations and OHS experts, we've made safety the be all and the end all which flies in the face of Jesus saying, come follow me. And what it meant was you're going to die following me. You're going to get hurt following me. You're going to get betrayed following me. You're going to get abandoned following me. You're going to get bruised and battered following me. But I want you to come and follow me. There's no guarantee of money. There's no guarantee of success. I want you to come and follow me anyway. That's the Christian message. And it flies in the face of OHS and all its responsibility today. And we're breeding our little darlings today. We make heroes of them because they made their bed. So they should. Don't give them a gold star for that. Honestly, my generation and older, those born in the 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe early 80s, would not be alive today because we had cots that were covered in lead-based paint. And I don't know a baby anywhere in the world that didn't chew that cot and suck on that cot and lick that cot. We should all be dead by now. We didn't have any child-proof lids. 
growing up. We rode our bikes with no helmets, no brakes, in thongs. One day I was riding my bike and I had the no helmet, I had the no brakes, but I didn't have any thongs either. Bare feet. And normally what you do to slow down, you just throw the back end around. Remember, they'd throw the back end around. It's, it's, that's what you did. You just lifted the weight off, transferred the weight. Oh, just, hey. It's like that. It's like Fonzie. Yeah, it's just like, like that. But this one day I was in this alleyway and I couldn't throw the end. It was too narrow. And I was coming straight for a wall. And I just, I just went straight into the wall. Bang, knocked myself out. <laughs> this is news to my dad. I never told him that. This is the first time I've ever told him that. My mate says to me, Tony, Tony, and I come down, and he goes, why haven't you been answering? I said, well, I'm, I just did. He goes, yeah, but for the last 10 minutes you haven't been. I was out cold. <laughs> Didn't have concussion and go to the hospital. He just got on the bike and just started riding again. <laughs> we rode in cars with no seatbelts. Car. When we would go on holidays, we had a, a Morris 1100 tiny little car. That was our family car. That was it, baby. We didn't have a. We didn't have a. We didn't have a people mover with, with seats for five people. We had a, a car that was for family of five that really seated three people. But there was a ledge at the back, and that was great for Baz. Put him up there. He lied along the back. We put pillows on top of him. So we did. And we went over to the Flinders, not on Bitumen Road, corrugated, that's how we lived. Didn't have air conditioning, had the windows down. See this dilemma, windows down, a bit cooler, dust. Windows up, no dust, but stinking hot. So it's kind of like, it was both. It was dusty and hot. It was just like, it was terrible, but we're still alive. We drank soft drink from the same bottle. Didn't bring a cup with my name on it. We just... It's like, if you were drinking a drink, <laughs> some kid would go, oh, can I have something? Sure. Go. Some other kid would sit, you go, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> it was just like, and then you get it back, and oh, cheers. Just grateful to get anything back, really. Count your blessings. Where's your cup with your name on it? Precious little darlings? I mean, come on. We had no Playstations, no Xboxes, no Wiis, no iPads, no iPhones, no iPad pods. We had no internet. We just had a thing called friends. And we played with our friends and we used our imagination. A stick to us was anything we wanted it to be. It was a sword. It was, every, it was whatever we wanted it to be. We try to instill some of these values to our kids. And you watch BJ, she's walking around today with a stick. I was with, I was with Matt yesterday in, in the village and Jordan's pretending to be a dog. Bailey. Jordan, sorry. Bailey. <laughs> Jordan's 13. Not cool when you're 13, but BJ's four. She said, can you throw the stick for me? So we're in the village. I'm drinking my coffee. 
Am I lying? No. <laughs> Kept the busy brows. Spit another kid. I want to go home. I'm in bored. That's irresponsible because someone could have, you know, you could poke someone's eye out. You know, I've still got both eyes. I was told every day of my life, you know, it's all fun and games until someone loses eye. I've still got both my eyes. So's Pete, so's Baz, so have all of us. You're going to lose an eye. But you don't love the sticks. First thing this morning, he comes out, Dad, can you say a stick? Sure, honey. Mum says no throwing balls inside, but she didn't say anything about sticks. Fetch. <laughs> we ate slugs, dirt, and sour sobs, and we're still okay today. When we made mud pies, we made mud pies, and we ate mud pies. That's what we did. We'd watch a dog pee on a sour sob, and we'd dare each other. Dare each other. Oh, I can do that. I've eaten plenty of urine-saturated sour sobs in my formative years. It's made me who I am today. And I'm okay. We made go-karts and went down hills at top speeds. Pete, I mean, we can tell some stories, can't we? Alleyways, go-karts, flat out, jump on the back. And we would just go tearing out, go straight across the road down the bottom, bang, just woo-hoo, smack into the gutter, roll the thing. <laughs> oh, 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 man. Pick up the go, oh, bleeding. Did you see that? That was unbelievable, man. We did that over and over and over again. One time, well, many times, we'd be going on. As you jumped on the back, you'd lift the front wheels, you'd lose control. End up going into the corrugated iron fence, rip it apart, wheel would be stuck in there. We'd be trying to yank it out. To the disgust, I never understood as a young kid growing up why adults were so upset with us that we would go on our go-kart at top of speed with a stick against the corrugated iron. And then rip into their fence and tear it. And I'm trying to yank it out as he's trying to beat me over the head. Just stupid kids coming out. And we'd run up and say, oh, that was awesome. No helmet, no shoes, mind you. No elbow pads. No transformer uniform. When we wore dress-ups, it was just a piece of cloth. We didn't have built-in muscles. We climbed trees. We thought growing up, that's what trees were for, to climb. We didn't know about precipitation and, and oxygen and all that. They were there to climb. It was a challenge. That's what they were for. It was a challenge. It was like God's playground. There's another thing. We had playgrounds made out of permapine. You won't see one of those in a school now. And we never had a thing called softfall. We had playgrounds over concrete. And when you fell off, you got hurt and then you got up again. We had parents that sided with authorities when we did the wrong thing. We didn't have people saying, oh, they're my precious little darling, they can do no wrong. Yeah, your kids are little sinners and they do lots of things wrong. There's a little saying, it takes a village to raise a family. It takes a village to raise a child. 
And that's what I love about the church community. If we would get over our, how precious our little darlings are and let others parent on our behalf, oh, we, might come, we might say that our little darlings may become little awesome people. Instead of addressing every adult, whoever addresses your kid. I'm about to address numbers of your kids. Because that's what it's about. I remember when someone so would tell us, I'd oh, come home and say, well, serves you right. Shouldn't have been doing it then, should you? Everyone's signing sympathy. <laughs> well, you shouldn't have been doing it. Is that right? <laughs> we walked and we rode our bikes. And the obesity wasn't what it is today. We are raising a generation that refuses to take risks. What makes David's story so incredible, so inspirational? Why baby Jesus and 10-year-old Jesus and 12-year-old Jesus was captivated with the stories about David was not because he saw the giant and turned his back on it and went back to his safe little home. Was he took a risk? And at the risk of his own life, he went there anyway. We've got young kids who think they're so cool because they've got Nerf guns. I mean, everything's Nerf guns. Forget Nerf guns. When we were kids, we had elastic bands. We put steel staples in it and bang, and it was free game. And I got many people in the eye. I was very good with my little elastic band. And my steel staples out of Dad's toolbox. We used to get staplers at school open them up and whack them on people's legs and literally staple people's jeans to their leg. And they have two little blood fangs. You pull them out like little, a snake's bitten. You know, two little, all day there's two little blood spots and people are walking into school. And someone's going, just. We run around with Nerf guns. It was so cool. Nerf guns. Like, shoot me with Nerf guns. Oh, wow, hurts. Wow. And you've got kids, oh, stop it. Like, what? They're Nerf guns. That's foam what are we breeding breeding boys and creating girls it's just like what back in the day the girls I grew up with were tougher than most of the boys these days girls used to literally on the playground with no softball they'd swing from their knees three times one two three and bang and dismount sometimes land it many times not well, part of the fun, really. Back in the day, we had things called accidents because we took responsibility for what we did. It wasn't somebody else's fault and we didn't have to sue them. We was at roller skating last week on the school holidays and Jordan's gone straight into a wall. Bang! She goes, Ma. She's tough. Jordan's tough. She goes, my thumb's sore. Kath, you'll be right. <laughs> And so, Geordie, okay, skates off. At the end of the day, her thumb is just like swollen, it's black. It's probably broken. But you can't do anything about it anyway. No tears, no fuss. It's just an accident. You put four, eight wheels on your, under your feet. <laughs> you imagine if I take it further and I take it to the authorities and then their insurances go up. Now, they can't afford to pay those insurance. It closes down. Now, we've got nowhere to skate. That's what's happened. 
Where's the roller skating rinks? Where's the skate parks? Where's this? Where's that? We close them down because we have become so paranoid about safety. Why aren't we planting churches? Because we have become so paranoid about safety. Why don't we do anything big and good and bold and courageous and brave for God? Because we are so conscious about safety. I'm here to say on David's behalf, take a risk again. How big is your God? I think David would say that. And I also believe David would say, God can forgive you no matter what you've done. The Bible says when David and his kingdom was well established, although he had a few wars to fight, there's an incredible scripture that says, at the time the kings went to war, David was in his palace. Hang on. Wasn't David king at that time? Yes. David was a king that should have been at the battlefield, but he was found in the palace. Somehow he got soft. He let others do the fighting when he used to be the one doing the fighting. And because he was where he was not meant to be, He gazed upon a woman, a beautiful woman, an amazing woman, and she had no clothes on because she was taking a bath. Some of the experts and the theologians say, you know, Bathsheba positioned herself because she knew that David took his afternoon walk and so she made herself visible. You know what? If David was on the battlefield, it wouldn't have mattered where Bathsheba was. But David is an older age. Any oldies out there? Got a little bit comfortable Don't take any more risks. And so the story goes. David sees this girl, says, I've got to have her. He's the king. How do you argue with that? Brings this woman into his bedroom, sleeps with her. It's going to be a one-off thing. No one would know. No one would see. But God has an incredible way of finding us out. And something happened that was not part of the plan. She gets pregnant. Can't hide that. Oh, I've got an idea. David says, I'm going to get this woman's husband off the battlefield. Say you've been fighting hard. You deserve some time with your wife. Here, sleep with her. The husband to this woman, his name is Uriah. He's a noble man. He looks at his wife and says, you're beautiful, honey, but I've got men on the battlefield and they're dying tonight. I I refuse to lay with you. I can't do it. David's like, oh, no, now what do I do? I'll kill him. David has one of his mighty men, faithful soldiers, that's helped him win many battles, killed. They said, put him in the fierce part of the battle. So we know he's going to die. And then David can come alongside the poor bereaving widow and marry her. Great plan. But that first point that God sees you even when others don't can bite you as well. It's wonderful to know that he's watching over me. But not when we're on the internet. We don't want him to watch then. When everyone's ignoring me, watch me, Lord. But when I want to do what I want to do, don't watch. 
And so God has to get a message to David because David thinks he's got away with this. Maybe to those closest to David, they know because they're not stupid, but no one's saying anything if they do know. So David feels like he's getting away with it. God sends a prophet, the prophet Nathan. And Nathan tells a story. I'm going to tell you a story. And this story is so intriguing to David. David's, David's livid at the end of this story. I can't believe that guy would do that to that guy. And then Nathan says to David, you're that guy. You are that guy. I told you this story to highlight that you're that guy. And David, and this is what I love about David. He's a murderer. He's committed adultery. He's king. He could have looked at Nathan. I mean, he'd already had Uriah put to death. He'd already got rid of one, uh, one problem. He could have said, okay, well done. Kill him. He's king. He's all powerful. At that time, he was the king of kings. But there's something in David's heart that says, you know what? You're right. And David is cut to the heart because he knows he sinned against God. And Psalm 51 is an account of how he felt at that time. And he finds God again. He finds God on a new level. He finds God in a new way. See, it's as wonderful as our youth going away this weekend, and they're going to find God. But 20 years from now, 40, you've got to keep finding Him at a new level and a new way, or you're going to get bored. And you're going to settle down. David found a forgiveness to God that he'd never seen before. Never thought possible, never thought imaginable. And he wrote some of his greatest psalms after that moment. Such is the love of God. If we can have our musicians come, that would be fantastic. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sins. Why do I love being in church? Why do I love reading my Bible? I think predominantly and foundationally it's because of this thought. That there's a God who continues to love me and forgive me beyond what I deserve. And that being true, for me, it's worth me giving my life for. Not just today, but every day of my life. As our young people are away getting blessed, I trust. I hope we as generally in this place, older people, 
can take to heart. Those of us who have been Christians for many years, as we break bread together right now and remember the work of Jesus, that we could find God in a new, fresh way. If your walk with God has become stale, it's not because God is stale. It's more than likely our perspective is all wrong. And it is my deep prayer and conviction that we find God through our perspective being changed. Maybe there are some in this place who have never, ever made that commitment to know God. As we break bread, I want you to get to know him today. And in a little while, I'll make an opportunity for you to respond to the goodness of God. Will you please stand with me as the elements are distributed this morning and as we sing how great is our God one more time. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.